Welcome to Raidercast. This episode is sure to be a treat, and especially for big fans of the Reboot series. Please welcome the award-winning writer who helped shape a generation of Tomb Raider, Rihanna Pratchett. Rihanna Pratchett, welcome to Raidercast. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Very, very excited to chat about some Tomb Raider with you. Yeah, me too. It's It's been a while since I talked about Tomb Raider, but I'm always happy to, to talk about Lara and her adventures. Wonderful. For a little bit of an introduction, for some of the listeners who might not know too much about who you are or your relationship with the series, please could you introduce yourself? Okay, well, my name is Rihanna Pratchett. As you said, I'm a, a writer and narrative designer for video games, comics, film, TV, short stories, novels, pretty much, pretty much everything, really. Um, and uh, I've been working in the games industry for over 20 years. And um, what we're talking about today will be the work that I did on the reboot of Tomb Raider in 2013 and its sequel, Rise of the Tomb Raider, which came out in 2015. So let's begin with some of the questions. Going back to the very start, what was your history with and your thoughts of Tomb Raider before your time with Crystal Dynamics? So I played the original Tomb Raider um, because I think pretty much everyone has played the original Tomb Raider uh, and and really enjoyed it. I'm pretty sure my dad played it first because I think it was like the stage in my life where my dad was sort of getting the video games and playing it himself and then I was allowed to play them. Like, <laughs> we never got two copies, we got one and it was passed down to me. And or and then he spoiled the T-Rex coming around the corner in, in the valley moment because oh. he was so excited about what had happened that he came in to tell me all about it. Oh, amazing. Uh, which is very sweet, but it, it ruined it slightly. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, I played the first game and I think I played a little bit of the second game and I think dad I think he maybe finished two. I don't know if he played three, but he used to, because he used to talk about the computer games he, he played in interviews and he'd say things like, uh, oh yeah, I've had many happy hours following Lara Croft's bottom, uh, <laughs> bottom around. <laughs> don't sexualize Lara, Dad, don't. That's just oh, weird. No. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I think I, he played it for a little bit longer than I did. And I think I just sort of, um, I, I wasn't a big fan, as I've talked about, of the, the marketing of, of the original Lara, and it kind of put me off uh, as, a, as a younger gamer. I didn't really like the way that she was sexualized in the marketing, and not, not so much sexualized, but this kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, your girlfriend will be jealous of you playing yeah. with Lara kind of vibe to it, which I thought was um, a bit... <laughs> kind of even it felt archaic at that time an attitude <laughs> like why why is it only men that are going to play this i mean um it didn't seem to acknowledge how how popular she she was with women or how popular she was going to become with women um and it, it just it just kind of put me off and it, you know back then you know i think it only takes a little thing to, to put you off things and there were plenty of other games to play so i i sort of stopped playing it around then and, and just went went on to other things um, and I made my actually made my first contact in the games industry at the launch of Tomb Raider 3 because I think oh, my wow. dad 
Um, I don't know if he played it, but he was invited to the launch of it, which is in the Natural History Museum, which is a great place to, to launch a Tomb Raider game. Fantastic. And I made, we were sitting at the table um, with the reviews editor of, of PC Gear, which was a new magazine coming out, and it was the sort of sister magazine to PC Zone, where um, about a, a year or so later, I got my first full-time job in the industry. Oh, that's really exciting. That's really cool. Yeah, in a nutshell, I played one in a bit of two. <laughs> Fantastic. When the Tomb Raider reboot was beginning to happen, you were handed the responsibility of reinventing Lara Croft, and that must have been such a, a daunting challenge. What were your initial thoughts, and what inspired you as you began to write her story? Um, I don't think it felt as daunting at the start, because, like, no one knew, and so I didn't, there was no, like, it wasn't public, so it was all kind of behind the scenes. Um, and I'd been working for another um, Square Enix studio. I was working with Idos Montreal, and I got recommended um, by the producer of the game I was working on to um, uh, Tim Longo. It was at the time uh, who was um, the sort of heading up the team there with Noah Hughes, and um, I did some interviews with them, I wrote some test scenes um, and, and was, was offered the job and it felt, it, it, you know, it felt great um, and it felt the right trajectory for me because I'd worked a lot on, on female protagonists in the past and I'd uh, worked on, on Rico and Kai in Heavenly Sword. I absolutely um, love that game. Yeah, it was, uh, I, was, uh, I have a lot of love for Heavenly Sword, it was, it was uh, really fun to work on. Um, and uh, also Faith in Mirror's Edge. So it felt like, yeah, this is, this is where it's all been leading to. Um, but it, ultimately it's a team, team thing when you're dealing with AAA games this big, it's, it's, a, it's a team effort. So I never felt like I was, I was on my own, even though I was on my own um, for a while until we got John Stafford. Um, so it was, it was kind of me and uh, for a little while Tim until Tim left and, and Noah and just sort of working with you know what, what the idea the ideas the team had and the things that were in place and the, the things that needed to be kind of built out looking at Lara's background her relationships um, the, the kind of uh, her progression through the game the kind of narrative beats that sort of thing and just like fleshing everything out and kind of bringing it all together um, so it never it didn't really feel that daunting until I got um, like my name out there but uh, by then I pretty much done all the work so it was yeah it was it was good that it happened that way so I, there wasn't I didn't feel a lot of pressure until then and by then it was it was it was almost finished pretty much well that's really good that's really good um, yeah that that was it was it was nice that it happened that that way around um, and you know by the time I got my name out there obviously we were dealing with with the um the little <laughs> kerfuffle maybe that um came out about uh the, the the kind of trailer and um the comments that were said and so i was kind of announced exactly when i was supposed to be announced there was no like quickly roll out rihanna to to kind of deal with this it was more like um uh but that's kind of what i i, I sort of was parachuted into the middle of yeah. this this kind of um you know minor uproar that had happened about about the trailer and the things that have been said about lara and the idea of protecting her and things like that which hadn't come from me and hadn't come from another narrative person 
but it was something that uh, I kind of dealt with and, and talked about openly and, and sort of tried to, to create a, a discussion about and, and bring a little bit more clarity as, as to what um, what was actually in the game and, and why we put it in there. Cool. What sort of things inspired you as you were writing Lara's character? Um, I mean, I've always been a big fan of Buffy um, and oh. I really like the way that it sort of, it, it kind of deals a lot with the hero and the human in Buffy, like what it is, what it means to be a superhero when you've got friends who aren't superheroes and they have to rely on you and you're the one that has to save them. Um, you know, Lara is not a superhero, but she is kind of, she's like a half superhero in, in kind of gaming terms. She's got um, and about so, her. yeah, I, I really liked um, sort of digging into that. And there's a lot of drama and conflict, and um, also the uh, you know she was quite young. Um, and she was only 21. It was her first expedition. I could kind of play with the naivety that you have in that at uh, that age, and how that you feel like, yeah, you you know what the world is like, and and then you kind of get into the world, and it and it's very different. Um, and so I really kind of enjoy playing with that and the, you know, the idea of her being massively out of her depth and, and actually having to rise to the challenge. Um, so yeah, but Buffy was a bit of an influence. Um, and films like The Descent as well, which was already an influence for Crystal visually in particular. Oh yeah, you could absolutely um, see that in parts of the game for sure. Yeah, definitely. And and I was I was quite impressed that here that like Crystal had even seen this cult. This yeah, British it's a bit movie. niche, isn't it? Yeah, and and I think it, it's got what it's had much more wider appeal um, since then. It's, it's kind of really caught on, but at the time it was still fairly niche. So I was quite impressed that they'd seen it and were referencing it. Cool. Right back from that beginning, were you given any pointers from Crystal Dynamics, any sort of do this or don't do that limitations imposed on her character? So sort of how much did they direct you when you were writing? Um, not not a lot at the start. It was more limit limitations or restrictions came in as we were going along in a, a kind of no, we want we don't want to do that or we want to do this. Like there weren't ones at the start. They they kind of happened happened as we went through, as we were kind of designing and, and writing stuff. So I, there was a fairly blank slate um, when I came in. There, as I said, there's a, there a whole bunch of kind of ideas, a, a, a visuals. Um, the team knew how the, the game was going to play, um, knew what kind of game it was. And there was um, a little bit of uh, bio stuff on, I think, uh, Lara, Roth and maybe Sam. Uh, okay. There was obviously the setting, the idea of using Himiko was in there, um, and, the, and the kind of few other bits and pieces, which is, is normally what you would expect um, coming in as a, as a freelance writer. You get a kind of a whole kind of mishmash of artwork and ideas and level design that you have to kind of fashion into a story. So that was kind of what I was working with um, to start with and sort of flesh you know just fleshing out everything and her relationships in particular and her background um and crystal were very open open to my thoughts and we were we felt like we were quite on the same page and as we went along we, we sort of ended up folding more classical stuff in like the the twin pistols for example like croft manor um you know the her father that kind of thing so we sort of 
Um, there was a, a kind of on, on the fly and, and quite organic process coming up with, with kind of all the ideas and choosing what we were going to bring in from, from the classic games and kind of ideas we were going to work with. Were there any aspects of the story or maybe even different versions of the story that didn't really make it past the early development around the time when you joined that maybe you were a bit sad that you couldn't take further? Um, I, I'm struggling to remember them on Tomb Raider, but they certainly there were on Rise, like early ideas that, that John and I particularly wanted to um, like deal with was the PTSD Lara um, would likely be suffering after the first game. I remember um, that sort of and... that was hinted at quite a bit in the the trailer for Rise as well. Yeah, this, yeah, it was, yeah, and that, that was originally where we wanted to go and, and have her actually being a, a bit more kind of out of control and just not quite able to cope with the real world. Now she basically had um, the blinkers taken off her eyes, and she'd seen that there are secrets in the world that she she hadn't anticipated and they they changed her life and now she's sort of back in reality and you know she's had she's had a hugely traumatic experience she's had to to take human lives she's had to she's seen her friends die like yeah. it's some rough shit that she goes through and we really thought that that would kind of impact impact on her kind of mental state and maybe what what she would decide to do next and you know, there are even ideas being thrown around like uh, almost playing through parts of the first game that had become twisted in her mind like you were playing almost her nightmares of the first game oh that's a great idea um but that that kind of got thrown out and and crystal went um well i mean some people at crystal weren't big fans of that so it kind of went the direction it did um so i think that's probably the main the main one that, that I kind that that I miss, I think. Uh, I mean, there are you're, there are always so many casualties um, in, for narrative when you're when you're making a game. Um, you, you never know what you you have to be super flexible when you write because you never know what you're going to be asked to do next. It could be like I've had games where they've just cut out the third act because they've Goodness run out me. of budget and time, so they've just cut the third act. And I've had to find a way of ending it on the second act. Or in the case of Tomb Raider, what I call death drafts. So they would, you know, decide to kill off um, certain characters for gameplay reasons, not narrative reasons, and I'd have to go back and uh, kill them in the script and oh, no. uh, and then remove them from season. It's quite emotional, like it, like because I got attached to these characters, and then I would have to go back and kill them. It was. Yeah, it was it was a little little traumatic for me actually. Were there um, any of those that spring to mind that you can tell us about? Um, I mean, I, I'm trying not to spoil the. If you played the game, you know who dies. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I'm trying not kind of not to spoil that. But I will tell you, you know, originally when the first draft of the script, the characters that died did not die, um, and the fact that characters died actually, and I think this is genuinely very interesting and it, it sort of points to how gameplay has an impact on narrative tone because originally the ending was was kind of darker and um and you know not as up ending as it was at the time but there hadn't been this like continual cavalcade of death happening yeah. um so the characters you know you, you i think you, maybe roth's death was still in there but you didn't have sorry spoiler alert <laughs> um, don't worry I i'll put one at the start that before. um but 
uh, the other other characters who died weren't weren't uh, in there. And the more characters who died, the more you know dark and and depressing the the, the game became narratively. And so we ended up actually having to change the ending and it being more of an up positive ending because everything had been um, uh, quite dark since then, uh, you know, up until then, whereas it wasn't originally intended, uh, uh, intended to be. So we could get away with a darker ending because the whole game hadn't been quite as dark. But once the most the gameplay changed the narrative tone, we ended up having to change the ending to make it make it a little bit more positive. Cool. What was your original sort of darker ending for that game? Um, well, I'm assuming people have, have <laughs> I just assume people have played it. So yeah, Sam yeah. didn't didn't make it, um, okay. and we're, we're at the ending. And and uh, you know, I, I'm trying. I'm now struggling because obviously my it's you know it's been the ending we have has kind of overwritten in my head um, the ending that was, but. Um, so I think whether she, I can't remember whether she'd sacrificed herself or, or she was just too far gone and, and, and Lara had to, to kill her to, to stop Himiko coming into the world. And so it was all, that was, and I'm kind of glad that we didn't because I think there's, there's a lot of, been a lot of fun, uh, that we've had since, particularly in the comics with, with the Sam and Lara relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I'm, I'm kind of glad it didn't happen that way. Um, I think a lot of the fans been, are too. Yeah, it would have been, um, yeah, I, I think it, uh, we would have definitely lost something had we gone in that direction. Um, uh, the only thing I wish is that we'd work, we'd known sooner that the ending um, would would be changed because it was very kind, or it was almost quite last minute, so we didn't have as much time to finesse things as we would have liked. But that's, that's the only regret I think I have. Talking a little bit about Lara's character for the reboot, a wonderfully famous line from that game was, I'm not that kind of croft. So for you, what was that kind of croft? What are the fundamentally important facets of her character? And the oh, it's, it's like, it, this is going to spoil, uh, spoil things a bit. I didn't really know at the time I wrote that line. Um, <laughs> so I wrote that line in my edition. Um, and I can't think I had in my head that like the sense that her I, I can't remember it may have been in her bio that her dad had, had, had you know had had lots of archaeological adventures, um, and so the, and I kind of wrote that line as a kind of almost off the cuff line. I think it's a brilliant and as theme. part of this before like we I'd even got the job, and it was one of the lines that actually I don't know whether it survived because they particularly liked it or it survived because um, it was already written and, and I think they then they made it into the demo and I think you know it had been made and they were happy with it so it just it sort of survived it survived right through to the to the um, uh, end game so yeah when I wrote it I didn't have a great sense of of meaning just like the, it, it felt you know, realistic for how Lara was feeling at the time, what little I knew of her father. It's the same with I Hate Tombs as well, which was just yeah. meant to be a, like a throwaway, silly, ironic line that was written for a, li uh, for a, a, a little trailer. Um, and yeah, and it, it, it suddenly gets carried through <laughs> to the main game. Um, and yeah, so there's always like funny things, funny little bits like that. 
I think I'm not that kind of Croft is it sums that game up so well because it's it's basically a blank slate and it's allowing it's giving her a launch platform to to begin yeah. from and I think it fits so well and it's probably why I think it's one of the most iconic lines of the game yeah it's, it's funny that it sort of came out in that way but that's just how things go and actually some of the most the successful projects I've worked on when I've gone on to get the job it's actually some of the stuff I've written in my kind of audition piece has actually made it into the, to the final game this, this is the same with Overlord um uh there was the, yeah I think my audition piece ended up being the, the uh intro cinematic to the game but yeah I think it I just had it was just me kind of grappling for a sense of things um and you know it just it kind of just felt right at the time cool how did you go about developing her character between Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider? Like, were there any new aspects of the character that the sequel let you write that maybe you weren't sure about in the first game? Um, so, certainly in the comics, um, I got to be a little lighter with Lara's character. So um, actually going back to what you were saying about um, things I were, wasn't allowed to do. I wasn't really allowed to be funny. I wasn't really allowed to to kind of do the witty one-liners and things that uh, you know Lara is known for. And I kind of missed that um, because I I love doing that sort of thing. It's uh, you know the the kind of more somber Lara is not a, a choice I I made or or how or, you know I think people have often flagged it up as something they miss. Um, I enjoy doing comedy stuff. I, I wrote all the, the Overlord games. It's something I, I love doing. Yeah. Um, Crystal were kind of quite firm on they didn't want the witty one-liners. They didn't want the kind of sassiness because they felt that it, it suggested too much confidence, which which I understand, which I get. So it suggested that she was too you know confident and um, she wasn't, she wasn't, yet. She wasn't <laughs> confident, so it, yeah. It, so she gets a little, she gets a little bit more confident in Rise, and I had a blast writing the comics. In, in all honesty, obviously, Gail Simone wrote the first arc, and Gail and I did the second, and then I did the third, which actually rolled into Rise. And because I was also working on Rise at the time, I knew what was um, what was happening in there. So if there's, you know, you, you see Constantine in the in the end of the comics, things like that. And uh, yeah, so that was really fun to do. And I got to have more, um, it was more, more the Lara I think I, I would have liked to have put in the game. Like she was, there was a little, it was a little lighter. There was kind of a, a bit more about her kind of friendships, uh, relationship with, with Sam and other characters like, like Kaz and Grimm and Reyes and just kind of fleshing out her, her, her kind of background and making her more human and also having like really fun um, sort of swashbuckling style adventures like being dressed as a, one of the Bennett sisters yes. fighting bad guys on the yeah. London Underground <laughs> or, or Sam um, using a, a cupcake as a weapon and that sort of thing so I, I could have a lot more fun in the comics because there was less a lot less pressure and a lot less kind of um, uh you know feedback to consider so I, I i probably had one or two people giving feedback from from the chris from crystal on the comics whereas with the game there's like layers and layers of people giving feedback from the team from external um contractors from publishers uh, and, and what have you so 
it was kind of I had more freedom with the comics to do to do the things I wanted to do, um, and that was you know del delve into kind of her, her backstory, her relationships as well, but still do really fun stuff like the the obstacle course in the in the British Museum. Uh, yes. that she runs at the start of my arc um, and I really love that and I went to the British Museum with a camera and I, I, I did I photographed like okay I think she could like okay those are the where the stats so it's drawn oh, I gave the man, I that's gave, such um, a fun trip yeah I got I gave the artist photographs um, of like this is the route she's gonna take through the museum <laughs> And I, I go to the, the artist photographs of where, like, where the statues were, where she was going to bounce off a crypt, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there's real serious research that went into that that start scene, um, and that was kind of really really fun to do. Um, and I, I really love the cover for for that comic because she looks happy and she's yeah. grinning, and and uh, she doesn't often look that happy. Uh, so that yeah, that was I had a lot of fun. There's one thing that I will always remember loving about the comics, and it's something that I think is only briefly mentioned as maybe like a little throwaway line in, I think it's in the, the, the reboot game itself, when Roth mentions to her about when she was young and training in Snowdonia and on Snowdon, yeah. because I grew up really close to Snowdon, and <laughs> it, was like, it was like, oh my God, Tomb Raider's come home. And that was a, a wonderful little, little tidbit for me. That was, I absolutely loved that. Yeah, that, no. So I think we, I, I think we also had her and Reyes uh, going um, mountain climbing as well. Like, yes. I think that was maybe at the start of the second run, and she's trying to teach Reyes the um, the words to Monty Python's Rhubarb Tart song. That's the one, yeah. Um, and that's what my dad taught me when we would go walking with the, uh, and we would sing it in a round. Um, yeah. And. Uh, I don't think he taught me the right words, um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, that, so it is, I liked putting in those like little real world tidbits, really. When development for Rise of the Tomb Raider had concluded, what were your feelings on what you had achieved with Lara? Were you pleased with how she was realised in the game as opposed to just on paper? Yeah, I was. I think we we polished Lara, um, we polished things a lot with the second game. So I often think that the first game had more heart, but the second game had more polish. Um, and partly that was due to the fact that we had a bigger team. Um, so we went from uh, being two people, myself and John, in, into four people for um, the core team of uh, narrative folks on Rise. So it was myself, John Stafford, um, uh, Cameron Sui and Philip Gillette uh, working together on that and, and we all had our different roles and that all worked well and we, we worked together well as a writer's room. Um, and we also opened up the script very early on to feedback, which from a writer's perspective is terrifying because it's on, you know, you, your first draft, you're so vulnerable, you're so narratively vulnerable, you're just trying to get your ideas down and shaping things. And you're also dealing with people that aren't used to reading first draft scripts, aren't used to reading scripts at all. Um, and so you're dealing with all that. And it was quite, Rise was in some ways harder than the first game because um, we had, I, I think we had more focus, like intense focus on things and, and, and everyone had an opinion. 
about everything and there were even more layers of feedback uh, so there was um microsoft factor in as well oh. as we're in it and so yeah lots of layers of feedback and we opened up the script to, to feedback early on and that that was just continual headwind of feedback the whole time often the feedback would conflict and so in the end john had to like stand there um and tank and tank the feedback and just like filter filter through what we were gonna what we were gonna work on and what we were gonna what we weren't like because you can't do everything especially because you know as i say it was it could be um conflicting feedback and and uh, contradictory so we he had to kind of filter what we were going to work on and, and what we weren't um so it meant that we were kind of working and polishing and, and tweaking for a long time um and then part of the reason for that is the ending of because we had ended up um redoing the ending of, of tomb raider the first tomb raider um quite late late in the day and later than we would have wanted um we didn't want that to happen again um i'm i'm not sure whether opening up the feedback to everyone was necessarily the best way of doing it but it was certainly a way of doing it you and think it, was, um, it may have been a case of too many cooks sometimes oh yeah i mean that's the case with games uh, like when you when you're in the triple a game space which is pretty much like studio pictures or blockbuster movies you're always dealing with lots and lots of people i think even more people so i've written a number of screenplays now and certainly in the development stage, you deal with far fewer people um, with movies than you do with uh, development, but that, uh, sorry, in development of games, but that's because with movie development, you, you know, in the development stage, you may only have a few people you're working with. It sort of depends on whether your script has, uh, you know, financiers, whether there's a director attached. So you usually be working with maybe, um, three or four people who could be sort of producers or or kind of uh, maybe a director if you're lucky but in the development stage of a game it's, it's basically being built at the same time um so yeah it's like writing a movie when the movie is being shot at the same time um so there's a lot there's all, there's a lot going on so a lot there's a lot of feedback and there's a lot of people having opinions so and that happened that's not um, you know, just something that happened on, on Tomb Raider is something that happens across the industry. Well, next I want to talk a little bit about the Tomb Raider community and its fans with regard to Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider and the entire series, really. Lara Croft has always had a massive LGBTQ plus following and her relationship with her friends in the reboot series and Sam Nishimura in particular has inspired her LGBTQ plus fans and allowed them to further relate to Lara. Hmm. What are your thoughts on this influential aspect of the series and how important or unimportant was expressing any form of sexuality when it came to writing Lara and her friends? Um, I mean, I think Crystal didn't really want to um, complicate things uh, or, or what they saw as maybe kind of complicate things with, you know, Lara um, having a relate, you know, relationship within the game because we were only dealing with a short period of time, and so it wasn't something that kind of we really thought about because it wasn't particularly pertinent to what was going on in in the in the game time space, which is only, you know, as I say, it's only a couple of days, um, and. I only really started thinking about it, I think, when I did uh, the, the interview that became infamous 
uh, where where I, I was, I was um, talking uh, with another LGBTQ um, ju journalist, and we were just having a, a discussion about that kind of representation in games, um, and it was all like very casual and. Uh, I sort of said, yeah, I would have loved to have made Lara gay. Like, you know, but it, it, and then I had to, and I said to him jokingly, oh, that's going to be headliners, isn't it? And, oh, no. uh, and they, I think he said, oh, no, we're not Kotaku. And then it became the headline. And and um, that was a little bit difficult for me because it wasn't, it it was just a, a tiny part of the conversation. It's absolutely true, but it's it sort of the way it got framed was almost like I'd come in wanted yeah. to do this and they're being crushed by evil crystal whereas it hadn't been much of a question for them at the time and it was more like yeah i was completely open to it as a writer and you know i would have been happy to do that if, if they were if that's what the direction they wanted to, to take but it wasn't something that they particularly factored in at the time um and it sort of got to the point where crystal said they didn't want me to talk about laura's sexuality or even sam's sexuality um, and yeah, I, had, I kind of had to adhere to that. But I did, um, I did take notice of, of that and, and how kind of meaningful it was to, to people in the shipping of Lara and Sam. Uh, and so I kind of did what I could. So I, I put a, a kind of openly gay character into the comics in Kaz, who is uh, Alex's sister. And I also have taken that, you know, realization that representation is meaningful to people on, on a on a, a really significant level um, into other things I do. So when I wrote the story for Attack on Titan, I had uh, two two lesbian teachers who were secret um, uh, flying uh, flying machine inventors uh, who were kind of, who were building this flying machine under under their classroom um, and things like that. And and so I become a lot more aware I think of representation and how important it is to people um, si since that um, and, and I've tried to sort of take that knowledge uh, forward with me in the, in the stories and characters that I build. That's really cool. Have any fans approached you and talked to you about the, the impact your writing has had on them in terms of their sexuality? Um, not, not specifically, well I do, or even no, how it's helped. No, no maybe one actually. I do have a friend who, who started reading shipping, uh, Sam and and Lara uh, stories, and and sort of realised that she was gay. Uh, I won't name names, but it was just like wow. I, I like I was I was really pleased about that. I was That's um, great. even though it was it wasn't it was kind of only loosely linked to what I had done, but. Um, I was pleased that uh, you know Lara, Lara and, and Sam were being interpreted in that way, and um, and I, I liked seeing fans having having fun and, and, and you know putting their own significance on things. But yeah, I do know one person that was kind of affected by the larger kind of fan fiction community and, and realised that she she was gay. Um, which I think really she's affected for, for quite a while, but that it had an impact on her. So um, that was that was very cool. And hearing stories about how people have been affected um, by playing through Lara to to change their life in some way for the positive, whether it's getting out of of difficult um, you know relationship situations or really dark 
places or even like going to the gym um and Lara, Lara certainly motivated me more to, to go to the gym um hearing those stories and hearing that your work has affected someone positively in the real world is just the most wonderful feeling like you can't you can't plan for it exactly but when you it's just the, the the best thing about what what we do when you when you hear these stories about how people have been a, a affected positively and that you've actually changed someone's life in some some small way it's just wonderful winding down towards the end of the interview um just as a recap of your experience what were your main or top three takeaways from your experience at crystal dynamics and your experience writing lara Ooh. Top three takeaways. Um, yeah, I may have to, I have to think about that. I, I, the importance of a good team around you, I think, is probably number one. Um, like, I really had a great working relationship with John and Noah, and then that carried through onto Rise. And I'm still sort of in, in contact with with all those those guys. Um, and that, you know, it's so important to have people around you that you can work with, that you can bounce ideas off. Um, that that's a great thing you're not you're not sort of doing it in a vacuum you have other other writers there other narrative professionals and that is really important um and i do actually think that the importance of, of representation as well um was something i picked up from that and and as i say i sort of carried it through and i sort of realized it was maybe more important to people than i i as a straight woman had realized and it sort of that like changed me and it changed how I approach stories moving forward and, and wanting to, them to, to kind of represent you know, more diversity and, and put something in there you know, for everyone because it is, it's, it's meaningful and important. Um, so I think that's two, is <laughs> the second one. It took me a while to just recover from like AAA, not exactly burnout, but, but Rise was pretty, pretty intense and uh, it was a very, you know, because of all the feedback early on and, and, you know, constantly rewriting and tweaking and polishing. And, you know, the great thing is that we won a, a Writers Guild Award for it. So that was a nice yes, like, well done. cherry on top. Um, and, you know, that, so it was sort of, it, it, I'd say it, it sort of burnt me out for AAA games for a bit. And, and that's sort of something I'm only just kind of going into, um, getting sort of back into again. So I sort of only worked on smaller games or I focused on, on my, my film and TV work. Um, so I think, yeah, they, and how much I like writing comics when I get the opportunity, that definitely helped. Uh, that was definitely a, a takeaway. And I had, I had in, in some ways more fun with the comics because I, I had more freedom to, to do things. Um, and I, I could put my own vision in there a little bit more, whereas on games you're always having to share your vision with other people, that's just how it works, that's just what you have to deal with. Um, so yeah, I think uh, the importance of a good team, uh, the importance of representation, and um, what was my last point? <laughs> Whatever my last point was, that was my third one. <laughs> okay, finally. If you could send Lara off on another adventure, if you were given complete free reign to do whatever you like, where would you love to send her? Oh, I've, yeah, I was thinking about this actually. I, I think um, I'd like to delve more into fictional places. Like I'd like her to maybe become more of a crypto archeologist. So Ooh, things like um, uh, Atlantis, 
uh because i love i love i'm an I, I love underwater stuff yeah because um, I'm an advanced open water diver and I love oh wow so I really love to do kind of yeah more more un underwater um Lara action not just swimming but but um using submersive roles and you know going into aquatic caves and cities and things like that so I would like to kind of take it to yeah more more fictional places to, to have fun with I think that would that would be pretty cool so thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. And we wish you all the very best with all of your future projects. And thank you for what you've done for Tomb Raider. Oh, thank you. No, it's, a, it's been, a, been a privilege and an honour. If you enjoy RaiderCast, don't forget to like and subscribe. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at RaiderCastPod and Instagram at RaiderCast. Until next time. Keep safe, keep happy, keep raiding.